From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, November 21st. Moab City's parks and rec facilities are in need of some upgrades. That's according to a recently released Parks and Recreation Master Plan, the first the city has ever completed. City Manager Carly Castle says the plan basically provides a comprehensive framework for us to use moving forward as we prioritize investment in parks, infrastructure, amenities, programs, those kinds of things. The plan took nearly a year to complete, and it's now ready for the city council to review and adopt. An outside planning firm engaged over 900 community members in their planning process through surveys and open house meetings. And it's always encouraging to get such robust feedback because uh, going forward, you know, we have a lot of community buy-in for the priorities that we set next. For City Manager Castle, there's a few standout items that can be prioritized. They include getting local parks and rec facilities into better ADA compliance. During their inventory, planners found there are a lot of areas that are just not equitable or inclusive. The ADA improvements were more uh, stark than I initially realized, so I appreciate uh, this consultant team coming in and identifying those gaps that we provide in service. It looks like we have a lot of work to do when it comes to those kinds of improvements. The lack of ADA compliance at local parks and rec facilities was also surprising to city council members during a recent discussion. Council member Luke Wojciechowski. I think a lot of people, when they think of Moab, they think of all these like crazy athletic activities and everything out there. And that might explain why we don't see people with disabilities, but it might also be because we're not really an accommodating community for people with disabilities. Potential park-wide improvements include creating ADA access to playgrounds, drinking fountains, pathways, and seating. I think with the master plan, initially I kind of had a similar mindset like, oh man, I can't wait to see what kind of new things we're going to be able to create. But Um, there's definitely a recognition that we really need to focus on and fix what we already have. Once the plan is adopted by the city council, they will look at prioritizing projects across the city's parks and recreation facilities. The plan currently has $22.3 million worth of recommended improvements. These include redesigning the Center Street ball fields, potentially replacing the Center Street gym, and improving trail connections. We have a lot of catching up to do, for sure. City Manager Castle again. This plan provides a 10-year strategy for Parks and Rec. Funding sources could include the Recreation Arts and Park Tax, ongoing state and federal grant programs, and public-private partnerships. City representatives say it's clear that local parks and rec is really important to the Moab community. 96% of people surveyed overwhelmingly agreed that it's, quote, essential to their quality of life. Castle says it's important to note that even as this comprehensive planning process wraps up, there will be more opportunities for engagement around Moab's local parks and rec in the future. So this isn't the end of the city engaging with the community and talking about what we want to build next. If we want to do uh, some investment in, let's say, Swanee Park, which obviously needs improvements and upgrades, I'm thinking of the playground, certainly the bathroom, Um, those will also have their own community engagement opportunities so we can hear from people about specific projects. Castle expects the newly seated council to prioritize projects in the Parks and Rec Master Plan early next year. 
After three years of cancellations and adjustments due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Wabi Sabi's free community Thanksgiving meal is finally back. When I first started, I was getting, I mean, I started September 1st in 2022, and I was already getting calls. Is the the Thanksgiving meal happening? Wabi Sabi's executive director, Leah Bear. And so the phone hasn't stopped ringing, but I'm happy to finally be like, yes, it is happening. And the fact that people want to participate um, is unbelievable. The nonprofit is preparing to serve up to 900 meals on Thanksgiving Day at the Grand Center with the help of roughly 100 volunteers. The meal is coming together under the purview of local chef Ken Moody. Turkey, green beans, stuffing, gravy, all that good stuff, and lots of yummy desserts. For years, the Wabi Sabi Thanksgiving meal was a community staple, a place for people from all corners of Moab to come together and enjoy each other's company in a festive environment. Bear says the nonprofit's mission is rooted in community, which is what she's looking forward to this Thursday. So excited to see um, just all walk to life at the Grand Center, you know, um, just sitting around mingling, um, just being thankful and what it's supposed to be about, right? Community. Community, community, community. Bear says volunteers will be delivering meals to folks unable to make it to the event in person. We're happy to make that happen. We have had some amazing volunteers step up that are willing to deliver the meals um, that, you know, they can't attend or they don't have the transportation. For more on Thanksgiving meal delivery, call Wabi Sabi. And the in-person free Thanksgiving community meal will take place from 12 to 5 p.m. Thursday at the Grand Center. While the first Thanksgiving might bring to mind the lore of pilgrims and European colonization, Southwest Colorado lays claim to its own Thanksgiving history. This milestone came much later, in Telluride in the 1970s. Gavin McGough with our partners at KOTO has this report. Let's stop turkey. Set your sights on the butterballs. There's no question, turkey is the icon of the Thanksgiving table. No vision of the holiday is complete without a glistening bird carved tableside before gathered company. For vegetarians hoping to partake in the turkey feast, a certain phenomenon arose in pop culture in the 1980s. The tofurkey, tofu turkey roasts, still abound online and in food co-ops across the country, and the Oregon-based brand Tofurkey sells an entire line of plant-based products, from faux deli slices to the roast itself. One day, browsing the footnotes of food historian Bill Shirtliff's History of Soy Sauce, one of his classic books tracing the roots of soy products in North America, I encountered an interesting claim. The first tofu turkey was baked right here in Telluride in 1978. Wondering, could it be true? I brought the footnote to Molly Daniel of the Telluride Historical Museum. But browsing the archives, Daniel came up empty. I looked and couldn't really find anything, unfortunately. Still, she says, such an innovation would have made sense in the 70s in Telluride. The 1970s were kind of Telluride's transitional years. People coming uh, for the ski area. Joseline, of course, is opening uh, the Telluride ski area in December 1972. There was a lot of idealism. There was a lot of resourcefulness um, and definitely some self-governance with created kind of a creative atmosphere and kind of a countercultural vibe. The footnote in a few paragraphs named Matthew Schmidt as the owner of a tofu shop located in the basement of the Sheridan Opera House, which became the site 
of the Tofurky in question. A scan of the Kodo archives bore fruit. In a newscast from July 1978, reporter Rita Robinson was on the scene to cover the shop's apparent expansion. We're here in the basement of the Spectrum shop, where the Tofu shop is located, and we're speaking with Matthew Schmidt, who is one of the organizers, original organizers of the Tofu shop. According to the clip, the Tofu shop was thriving. Here's Schmidt himself. Uh, initially, we're going to put in a dining room. Uh, so that people won't have to eat out in the hallway anymore. When do you plan to be reopened? Uh, the dining room itself probably won't be open for another week, but we hope to be open for takeout food uh, this coming Tuesday. You've been open for nine months now, and can you tell me how it's been going? It's, it's just amazing. <laughs> it's real fantastic, yeah. Through some Googling, I discovered a tofu shop in Northern California, which listed a shop in Telluride as its predecessor. The proprietor? Matthew Schmidt. I called the number on the website, and lo and behold, was greeted by a familiar voice. Yeah, my name is Matthew Schmidt, and um, I lived in Telluride from probably uh, 74 to 79. In uh, 77 sometime, uh, my friend Tim Meckie was making tofu and uh, um, he taught me how to make tofu. I really took a liking to it. Together we opened a little tofu shop. Then, in 1978, says Schmidt. Myself and some friends and people at the tofu shop decided to have a big Thanksgiving feast. We decided to make a main dish with tofu. A good friend of mine at the time was an artist. His name was Craig Boykin, who had been around uh, Telluride for a number of years, and he was a painter and sculptor, among other things. Boykin stacked two large blocks of tofu together, and, says Schmidt, carved them up. So they looked kind of like a uh, roasted turkey on a platter. And I think he even put on some little fake drumsticks or something like that. He, we baked that, and uh, it kind of melted down a little bit, but it was still like a big loaf. And we had a great feast. By 1980, Schmidt had moved on from Telluride for Northern California, but he stayed in the tofu business and for years made tofurkey dinners to sell to customers for their vegetarian feasts. The tofurkey brand of food, which is now available nationwide, arose in 1980 in Oregon out of a little tofu shop there run by Seth Tibbet. But whatever the origin story of that tofurkey, Schmidt assures me it happened in Telluride first. I met the guy that started that business, and um, I know for a fact that we were making tofu turkeys before they were. So I think our claim to be first is still valid. <laughs> so <clears throat> there you go. Schmidt says in the 1970s, most tofu was coming from small operations such as his own, shops which popped up across the country, informed by tofu makers in America's urban Chinatowns and Japanese immigrant communities. Charting the course of the first tofu turkey from a Thanksgiving in Telluride's countercultural heyday to the recognized and commercialized staple it is today is to get a snapshot of tofu's mainstreaming in American culture. Here's Schmidt. I kind of have a, an interest in uh, social science and stuff like that, and so the phenomenon of watching tofu uh, blend into uh, American cuisine um, has been fascinating to watch and to be a part of. The whole thing was successful because you know, now you can pretty much find tofu anywhere, and not just plain tofu, but other products too. Like a tofurkey. <laughs> like tofurkey, that's exactly right, yeah. 
Washman himself no longer carves a tofurkey on Thanksgiving Day, having had his fill over the years. He was generous enough to share the tofu shop's recipe, and you can find it at koto.org. This is Gavin McGough. That story was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KZMU. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, November 21st. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.